0: This is episode number 30 of the Better Bible Reading Podcast. Well, welcome, everyone. Hope you're having a great day. My name is Kevin Morris, I am the host here on the Better Bible Reading Podcast. And I'm glad to have you with me here for episode number 30. And I want to say a special welcome to those of you who are not only in the United States, but also in Europe and Africa. Because as I've been looking at the statistics of those who listen to this podcast, it turns out that it is not constrained to the United States, but there are listeners. Literally all over the world. I think the only place I haven't seen so far is Asia. Other than that, there are people all over the map listening to the show. So, greetings to all of you. So thrilled and honored that you are listening to the show. And you are not only doing that here and there, but you're doing it frequently. So, that's very exciting and encouraging to me. Uh, So, today we are talking about the danger of Bible knowledge without love. And that comes from Paul's letter to the Philippians. Really, it comes from a lot of different places in the Bible. But particularly for this episode, um, we're going to kind of feed off of Paul's conversation with the Philippians. Because it turns out that these two concepts are not opposed to one another, that is, Bible knowledge and love, but in fact they are dependent upon one another. You are probably aware that there is a danger of Bible knowledge without love. We think of Paul's words elsewhere in Scripture, thinking about 1 Corinthians, for example, that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. That particular passage would seem to suggest that uh, these two concepts are uh, somewhat opposed to one another. You could go the knowledge route, or you could go the love route. And it seems that love, especially the fact that there's an entire chapter in 1 Corinthians dedicated to the idea of love, chapter 13, which is commonly referred to as the love chapter, um, it would seem that love is far greater than knowledge. Well, uh, one thing to point out is the fact that there's actually a knowledge chapter in that very same letter, First Corinthians, and that is uh, chapter 2, or we could put it in the way of wisdom. But Paul's conversation is kind of an interlap between the idea of knowledge and wisdom. Uh, so uh, just a really quick um, assessment there, uh, because we're not going to necessarily be talking about First Corinthians today. We are talking about Philippians, but I just wanted to point that out because that is something that is thought of a lot. But that being said, There is a real danger to Bible knowledge without love, and if you want a case in point, just simply log on to any of your social media accounts, and you will see demonstrations of Bible knowledge without love, and really just take your pick. Take your pick of any topic of theology or any topic of the Bible, and you will see people very quick to show forth and demonstrate their Bible knowledge, but you won't see people doing so with love. And then you will see people commenting or um, firing back at them in some way, shape, or form, and they will discourage them from their effort or attempts at Bible knowledge in the name of being judgmental, or mean-spirited, and they will call that person to a pursuit of love by saying, don't be so judgmental, don't be so unloving, etc., etc. Now, there certainly is merit to that, right? I mean, people can be incredibly nasty on social media, and it turns out people can be uh, much more so-called courageous on social media than they actually are in person, um, it is true that arguments happen, disagreements happen in person, but they are far less frequent when we can look one another face to face and have a serious conversation that is not hidden behind a keyboard and a public perception of ourselves that sometimes does not compute to the reality of who we are as people. And that's just a fancy way to saying to say that we are much more brave, Um, in the digital media world than we are in person, face-to-face, in the raw and gritty uh, nature of things. So there certainly is a danger to Bible knowledge, and there is not a saving element of Bible knowledge alone either, because one of the—I'm choosing my words carefully here because I want to be misunderstood—but one of the greatest theologians— Is the devil himself the devil knows the word of God? We could say that the devil has very good Bible knowledge just enough to deceive us, just enough to twist what is being said. We will come back to that later, but just at the outset, to persuade you in some way, shape, or form that there is a danger to Bible knowledge without love. Now, I mentioned Paul's letter to the Philippians. Let me read the first part of this because it is so informative, and it really is a verse that's near and dear to my own heart, uh, which I will share with you as soon as I read it here. But here's what Paul says. Uh, The passage that I'm mentioning is really in the first section of the letter to the Philippians. So you have the greeting in verses 1 and 2, and then Paul kind of gives this um, in the ESV Bible, which gives subheadings to particular sections just like any other Bible translation will do, uh, refers to verses 3 through 11 as Paul's thanksgiving and prayer. And pretty self-explanatory there, but Paul is thanking God for the Philippians He's excited for the fellowship that they have with one another, for the gospel ministry that is happening in Philippi. And Paul follows that thanksgiving by a prayer. And here's what he says in verse number 9. He says this, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. That is such an important verse, really, for myself. As many of you who listen to this know, I am a theology student. Uh, Right now, I'm working on my bachelor's degree, and I'm doing so because I have uh, intentions to uh, go to seminary and get my Master of Divinity degree, and in my uh, journey towards that end, um, I am pretty heavily involved with schoolwork um, just about year-round. Now, there's some fluctuation here and there, but for the most part, any given time you're listening to me doing this podcast and um, managing the website betterbiblereading.com, I am also juggling a full course load of classes, and that means that I'm doing a lot of reading, a lot of paper writing And uh, it's a lot of fun, but it is a juggling act. Um, And it is uh, kind of serving as a means to an end, right? Because uh, to get a master's degree, you have to have a bachelor's degree first. So I could, if I wanted to, just get any kind of bachelor's degree, any kind will do um, from an accredited institution. Um, but I wanted to kind of get some good groundwork done, so I decided that even my bachelor's degree was going to be with an emphasis on theological studies. I say all that because there really seems to be a dichotomy, which is to say that there is a kind of stop sign where you can turn left or right, and those two pathways never intersect. One goes one way, one goes another, and they remain um, totally isolated from the other. And those two pathways are the real life, down to earth, kind of individualistic real world, and the academic world. And that is true in a lot of cases um, in the secular world. But it shouldn't be the case when it comes to the Bible. Unfortunately, it is. A lot of times uh, theological institutions will either go the liberal route and they will be totally engulfed by um, the trends of culture and secular philosophy. You look at all the great schools, all the great historic Christian institutions such as Yale, Harvard, and all the rest, Princeton, all of these schools, which were one time kind of the images, the, the city on a hill of Christian orthodoxy here in America. And now you look at them, and, and they are total mirrors of secular philosophy and really a lot of crazy things happening at those institutions, which were one day— Renowned institutions. And now they're probably only as renowned as they carry a big price tag, and that's about the extent of it, because they don't teach much of anything of historic Christian orthodoxy. But all that to say that there was a time when the pursuit of the academic world was really um, in the trenches of real life. People did not go there to disappear from the real world. They went there to learn. They went there to grow, and then they went out from those places to pour into the community in whatever ministry context or whatever vocation they had to God's glory and to the good of society. And that is to say that there was a good synthesis of knowledge and love happening in the lives of the students and in the faculty that were teaching at the institutions. Well, today, that is just not how it is, right? There's the academic world, and then there's kind of the nitty-gritty real life. There's no intersection. There's just the academic types and the non-academic types. And you can have an academic conversation. You can use academic language. You can read an academic book, and it almost is totally unintelligible to the normal conversation that we have with everyday people. And I don't want to paint the picture too severely, but I think that you would agree with me that there is an unhealthy imbalance of these things. Well, according to Paul, that is not how it is, nor is it how it should be. And I mentioned that uh, referring to myself because it is very easy when you are in the academic world, even of theology, even even academic theology is not a safe place where um, you're uh, apart from temptation, you're apart from the uh, desire to kind of be totally consumed with what you're doing in the little academic world that you're in. So I remind myself by a painting that my wife made for me, which is literally just the verse there from Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, that Paul says, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. That is my reminder from the Bible that in my pursuit of Bible knowledge that I would not lose love. I would not lose discernment. But in fact, I would marry those together because that is how they ought to be. There shouldn't be a, um, a, a big gaping hole between love, knowledge, and discernment. In this case, in our conversation today, we're talking specifically about love and knowledge. Paul says love and knowledge go together. They are not opposed to one another. In fact, it can be argued, which I'm arguing now, that you can't have one without the other. To have one, rightly and truly, will be shown, will be displayed, will be proved by the presence of the other. If you really do have love, it will show itself in knowledge. If you really do have true knowledge, it will show itself in love, and that's one of the reasons why, honestly, the the Facebook conversations or whatever outlet of social media you prefer, um, that they're just wrongheaded to begin with. Somebody who, even if they have a a bad intention behind it or just bad um, way of communicating. Somebody will come in there and totally discount what they say because it's not done in the way of love. But the extreme side of that is to argue that let's just throw away the notion of knowledge altogether because love is really all that we need. Well, true love is a pursuit of God and our neighbor, right? The two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Well, we're not uninformed about ourselves. You know what your favorite meals are, you know what your favorite activities are, you know what bothers you, what doesn't bother you. You have a knowledge of yourself. And that is the way that you love yourself and take care of yourself and make sure that you don't die, that you live another day. You take care of yourself and you do so by way of knowledge of yourself. And it is the same way in our love for the Lord. We don't love the Lord abstractly. We don't love him with, without any notion of knowledge. We love him on his terms that he sets forth because God instigates the relationship with us And part of our relationship with him is the renewing of our minds. It is being renewed in a knowledge of the Lord. And it is a pursuit very much of knowledge. That is our call to love God with all the faculties, including our mind. And so there is intrinsically in the notion of true love, the concept of knowledge. They're not opposed. They go together. And it's the same way for us, because I know as you're listening to this that you appreciate Bible knowledge. This is the Better Bible Reading Podcast. I say it all the time. We're on a pursuit to get better and to do better, better at our Bible reading. Try to say that five times fast. We want to do a better job. We want to no more we want to come to a better knowledge of things we want to understand genre we want to understand the old testament we want to understand the best way to complete a bible reading plan all these things are the concept of knowledge but we're in a bad place if we're doing so just for the sake of knowledge because according to this passage we're not really going to have knowledge if it doesn't include the concept of love. So what I'm reminding you of today, encouraging you about, is that you may be putting into practice a lot of things that I have mentioned to you in the past, right? We've we've talked about the element of time, the element of eliminating distractions. We've talked about more kind of, in-depth assessments of the Bible. We talked about how the Bible is logical, how you can find the idea of logic in the Bible. We've talked about the book of Revelation, all these things. But if we simply are just trying to grow our memory bank with Bible knowledge, if we forget the God of the Bible, if we forget that the Bible is God's gift to us, to reveal Himself to us, if we forget that it is a means towards fellowship and relationship with God, then we've gotten way off track. I mentioned this in a previous uh, article um, that was just posted on the website over at betterbiblereading.com this past weekend, Which, by the way, if you listen to this podcast, which obviously if you hear me talking right now you are, um, I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. But I want to also encourage you to go over to the website because uh, the website, you can find all of these uh, podcast recordings along with the notes and outlines and any kind of website links that I mentioned. But also on the website is written articles. I don't just do audio recordings like this. I also uh, post written articles weekly. And I also will be, spoiler alert, launching a YouTube channel in the very near future. More details on that in the weeks to come. But I mentioned uh, this past uh, weekend in an article about enjoying boring Bible verses and um Maybe I'm guilty of a little bit of clickbait because there is no such thing as boring Bible verses. But some people tend to think that there are such things, and I'm encouraging you not to think that way. But when we think about the Bible as boring, one of the things I mentioned is that, you know, sometimes atheists could probably beat us in uh, in a Bible knowledge competition if there is such a thing as a competition on it. Um, there are secular professors out there who know way more of the Bible than me or a host of other Christians. Um, there are atheists who aren't even in the academic world who may have read the Bible dozens of times while we're over here trying to complete our first read-through, and they kind of, generally speaking, have much more Bible knowledge than we do but what does that mean at the end of the day? If the Bible is not just about completion, if the Bible is not a checklist, if the Bible is not something that we ever graduate from, the same way that humans don't ever graduate from the need for oxygen, the more we breathe oxygen doesn't mean the the less we need to keep breathing it. We need to breathe it each and every day, and it's the same way with the Bible. And atheists may be able to say that they have more Bible knowledge than us in terms of facts, but that's a misunderstanding of the purpose of the Bible anyways. The purpose of the Bible is God's revelation to us. Not only a revelation for us to be saved, but a revelation for us to enjoy fellowship with Him, a relationship with Him the way that is impossible for anyone else. God reveals himself specially. One of the phrases that we use to describe that in theology is special revelation. God reveals himself in the world, in creation, in the created order. We can see the handiwork of God himself in a way that demonstrates the fact that he exists. That's natural revelation. That's something everybody can see. But special revelation, which speaks to... Salvation, which speaks to sin, the problem of sin, the problem of evil, how we overcome that through Jesus, why Jesus came, what he did, what he accomplished, all those things are under the umbrella of special revelation. And God has chosen to preserve that and give that to us, not in a tape recording, not in a video, not in a PowerPoint, but in his written word, which we call the Bible. And if all that is true, and that is what the Bible says, the Bible knowledge in and of itself simply will not do. It sets the bar way too low. And Paul says that our love should abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Those three elements are really interesting. Because it reminds me of one of the very first instances in all of Scripture. When we go all the way back to the book of Genesis, we get to chapter 3. Things get really interesting, don't they? The serpent is introduced, and he comes to the man and woman, especially to Eve, And what happens next is a display of all three of these elements. God gives a command to them in the chapter before not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then the serpent comes along and challenges that command. And he does so. By telling Eve that if she does eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, not only will she not die, but she will be as God is. She will be like God himself. And of course, we know what happens next. She eats of the fruit and also gives to Adam who eats. And so goes the desperate story of humanity. Well, what's interesting is that the Bible tells us something about love. It says that love is demonstrated by keeping God's commandments. Love is demonstrated by keeping God's commandments. That's what Jesus says. If you love me, keep my commandments. John says in 1 John, we know that we love him if we keep his commandments commandments. Well, what happened in Genesis 3 was a perfect opportunity for Eve and for Adam, for that matter, to display and demonstrate their love for God. And how were they to do that? They were to do that by keeping his commandment not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Well, they didn't do that. They did not keep God's commandment, but they did eat of the tree. And it's an interesting place where all three of these elements come in to play. So they failed to love God the way that they should have by keeping his commandment, and they did so in the pursuit of knowledge. They chose to eat of the tree, of the knowledge of good and evil. And because love failed. And because love failed. In the wrong headed pursuit of. Knowledge. Their discernment. Went right out the window as well. Eve and Adam were both. Unwilling to discern. What would happen. If we were to eat of this tree. Even. Even after God told us not to, even after he told us that if we ate of it, we would die. It's so interesting for us to think about that. I can't help but think that that's one of the reasons why Paul chose to bring all three of these elements together. And in fact, doing a little bit of biblical theology here, in the next verse of Philippians, well, let me just read verse 9 again, I'll read 10 following. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. That is so interesting because we know that what happens after Adam and Eve eat of that fruit, that God comes looking for them in the garden. And they were Ashamed, weren't they? They were ashamed. They did not feel blameless. They did not feel pure. They felt impure because they realized they were unclothed. They tried to clothe themselves. They hid from God. And there's a a striking parallel for us today. We live with the call for all of us to participate in love, and love abounding more and more, and not just love, but love with knowledge and all discernment, because we know that just as God came looking for them in the garden, that we're waiting for Christ Himself to return, to return for us. And Paul says, we want to approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And so, in your pursuit of Bible knowledge— I do want to remind you that there is a danger to pursuing that Bible knowledge without love. But really, there's also a danger of pursuing love without knowledge, because you can't have one genuinely without the other. And yes, we may be more loving than we have knowledge. Yes, we may have more knowledge than we have love, but there is a pursuit to see them flourish together. The care of one necessarily produces the other. There's a relationship happening there. And I want you to pursue that in your Bible reading. And I want you to look at Adam and Eve as the example of that, because they demonstrate what happens when we seek one at the expense of the other. Everything comes crashing down. Everything goes wrong. And everything looks hopeless. And maybe that's how you feel today. Maybe you're just not doing as good of a job as you would like to at reading the Bible. Or maybe you have seen yourself get a tremendous increase in Bible knowledge, but you're kind of walking around with a bit of an arrogant attitude. Well, I want to encourage you not only to enjoy these episodes, but to marry them together with one of the necessary elements, and that is a humble... And prayerful spirit before God. Notice that Paul says that this pursuit is in a form of a prayer. It's a desire. It's a crying out to God. So, one of the things that we can do, and one of the things that I want to leave you with in this episode as I bring it to a close, is that if you find yourself unbalanced in this pursuit, if you find yourself chasing after one and not the other, or thinking that they're not related in the way that they are according to Scripture, then my encouragement to you is simple but profound, and that is pray to the Lord about it. That's what Paul does, right? He doesn't just hope that one day their love and knowledge and discernment will abound more and more. He said it's his prayer. It's his prayer. He's praying to the Lord for this. And if Paul thinks enough about it to pray for others, you can rest assured that he was also concerned with praying for himself to see this happen. And we don't even think about praying for others that this would be true in their lives because we're not even thinking about it for ourselves. And it goes back to the idea of loving our neighbor as ourselves. If Paul thinks that this is important for the Philippians, he's loving them as he loves himself. He knows this is important for him. And so it's an encouragement to us to see it as being important for us as well. So the moral of the story here is that there is a danger of Bible knowledge without love. But if we rightly pursue Bible knowledge, we will not only gain Bible knowledge, but also love and discernment to God's glory and to our joy. Well, thanks for listening today, friend. Really appreciate your support I want to invite you to go over to betterbiblereading.com where you can find not only more information of other podcast episodes, but also the written articles that are there for you to enjoy and read and share with others. Head on over to betterbiblereading.com. This is Kevin Morris signing off here for episode number 30. Enjoy the rest of your day.